Well, hello. It's time for Crime Wave, a podcast featuring mystery, thriller, and suspense authors and the stories behind their stories. Crime Wave is part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network with over 4 million listeners worldwide. I'm your host, Bonner Spring, and today's guest is Heather Webb. Heather is the USA Today bestselling and award-winning author of seven historical novels, including The Next Ship Home. In 2015, Rodan's Lover was a Goodreads top pick, and in 2018, Last Christmas in Paris, won the Women's Fiction Writers Association Star Award. Meet Me in Monaco, co-written with Hazel Gaynor, was selected as a finalist for the 2020 Goldsboro RNA Award in the UK, as well as the 2019 Digital Book World's Fiction Prize. Wow, lots of wonderful awards there. And Heather's books have been translated into over a dozen languages. She lives in New England with her family. So welcome to Crime Wave, Heather. Thank you. Excited to be here. Well, I'm delighted to get a chance to talk to you on and make sure to tell you how much I enjoyed Queens of London. It's such, <laughs> such a delightful book. And that's what we're going to be talking about here today. Um, usually, because we're called Crime Wave, I'll start off an interview by asking um, an author to talk about the crime, you know, the puzzle that needs to be solved. But Queens of London makes it clear that um, the clever plot, and there is one that you, you weave, revolves around, and it depends on these four amazing women characters, three women, I should say, and a little girl who are all very, very different from one another. I'd like to start today by tempting our listeners with a brief character sketch of perhaps of each of these four main characters. Could you do that for us, please? Sure. So my first character is, is probably the most important character leading the group, and that is Diamond Annie. And she was a true-to-life person who happens to be one of the most notorious female thieves in UK history. Uh, she is tough as nails. She's whip smart, um, kind of the best and the worst kind of criminal mind. Uh, but she also has a little bit of a tender side that you see pop up in unexpected places uh, in the book. Um, my second character is Lillian Wiles, who is one of the very first female chief inspectors at Scotland Yard. Um, she is uh, determined to make a name for herself and the women police uh, in the UK, which so far have not been given a whole lot of opportunity and um, they keep getting cut back and, and they're about ready to try to get rid of them altogether. So Lillian is on a mission to prove how important women are and how helpful they can be uh, in, in serving justice. Um, so their lives collide in the midst of a heist. Uh, and they also cross paths with little Hera is my 10 year old who runs around with a little sidekick named Biscuit, a dog that she finds on the street. Uh, she's an orphan and trying to find her way. Um, it gets picked up by the 40 elephants, which is the gang, my, my all lady gang, um, which was also true to life. Uh, and then we have uh, Dorothy, um, who is a clever shop clerk, and she is uh, quite talented at design, um, but sort of trying to find her way uh, in her life. And it ends up running into leader of the gang and this this young this young girl who needs help. Yeah. So uh, just an amazing, amazing group of characters. Um, I fell in love with Little Hera. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm sure every I mean, everyone who reads it is absolutely going to fall in love with her. Um, 
I'm really lucky that podcasters don't have to follow the same rules as lawyers. That the whole thing about never ask a question that you don't know the answer to, you know, because I'm gonna, I have no idea really, Heather, where this is gonna go. But um, when you were a little girl, is there any chance that you read The Little Princess? It's so I funny to hot- say that because no, I did not. And in fact, because um, Hira, so we should say, okay, Hira, my 10-year-old is, um, she's English, but she's half uh, white. Her father is a British soldier um, who was stationed in Western India, and her mother is from Gujarat. She's an Indian woman. So, um, but no, I did not read it. And in fact, when my critique partners read the book and gave me feedback on my early drafts, they both said to me, oh my gosh, this reminds me of this book. And did you read it? And I said, what? No, I didn't read that. And I'm afraid to read it now because I didn't want to like, you know, sort of put that in my head while I was drafting. And they just said, it, it feels like you read that book. Um, so that's I'm, I'm so glad to know that I'm not like this weird outlier kind of human being. Um, for anyone listening who doesn't know, it's probably... Yeah, Heather, it's probably a pretty dated book by now, um, but it is set in London with a charming female child whose parents die in India. Hello. Um, And she she loses, uh, I'm, I'm probably mangling the plot a little bit. She loses, she falls on hard times and has to become very resilient in order to survive. But that's the thing, she does. You know, she, she, finds, she she finds a way. So Sarah Crew, and um, I, I guess I cautiously suggest it to our listeners, okay, at this time point in time, <laughs> but I'm really glad to know that. So anyhow, we've got the women established. So you, the way you develop them, I, I got so invested in rooting for them and wanting them to find, to find love, to find a family, to find satisfaction, respect. But you set up a situation, your plot, that sets them at cross purposes to one another, okay? A situation they can't possibly work out to their benefit, to the benefit of all of them, I should say. So tell us about the heist now. Yeah, so I, you know, I love books where you get more than one perspective. And, and in fact, several of my books have that kind of format. Mm-hmm. Um, the next ship home, my Ellis Island book has the same thing. I have an immigrant coming through Ellis Island and I have a uh, a woman who works at Ellis Island. So they're s- sort of working in opposition to each other. Um, I, I really like this aspect of Queens of London because I think it gives you a really full picture of these different you know, aspects. And um, the heist itself, um, <laughs> so basically the way I have it set up is that um, Diamond Annie wants to provide a, a home, a, a home base, a shelter for her, for her girls. Um, and she's got, you know, 20 some odd women working with her. Um, and she wants to create a haven. You know, they're, they're meeting in this broken down old, freezing cold, terrible building that they get run off from pretty regularly. And so she wants to raise enough money to um, purchase or rent um, a, a real space for them. And they're going to need cash and they're going to need it fast. Uh, so she puts together this huge heist to, to hit a warehouse right before Christmas um, and, so that she can sell all those goods. And then there are a couple of other parts to that heist as well. Um, but of course, for, for Lillian Wiles, our detective, um, she, again, is trying to make a name for herself. And she catches wind uh, of, of this heist after it has happened. 
um, and is ready to go arrest Diamond Annie. And then more things ensue. Um, but I hope, does that answer your question? They, you know, they, they do yeah. oppose each other uh, naturally. Um, of course, Hera is, is, becomes part of this gang and she doesn't, not sure she wants to be. She doesn't like doing things that are illegal and that are wrong. Um, so you've got that mixed in there. Um, and then, you know, Dorothy should turn her in, turn in the child to the, the, the police officer to be in an orphanage. But she does, you know, the kid doesn't want that. So, you know, there's all these these conflicts. Um, they are. I mean, you, yeah, you started out exactly with the two characters who are diametrically opposed, but you really add a lot of depth by having the the, the, the talented shop girl and the, the, the orphan who does get you know, who, who comes from a, 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 a rich and privileged existence. Having gone to school, for example, she can read, which many of these other women, you know, can't do. So she provides the service and they, well, they save her life basically, don't they? The, they the do. thieves. Yeah. They do. It's um, funny, I had readers say, you know, I was so relieved when the gang picked Hera up, but at the same time, you don't want her to be with them. So I wanted to create that conflict within the reader as well. So I'm glad well, you, that's working. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you really, you really, you really do that. I think it was, it, it was lovely. And of course, one of the challenges of doing a, a, a mystery and thriller crime wave podcast is that now we have to sort of stop here and let our listeners figure out what actually happens because the plot that Heather delivers to us means that not everyone is going to be happy with the ending. Yes. It's not possible. I would say that's um, true. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So um, consider that your tease for the day guys. Okay. <laughs> so the time frame of this book is also really interesting. It's the roaring twenties in London. Now, none of us were there obviously, but um, the way that you describe how it, it looked and, and, and felt and smelled. Um, the details all come in as an integral part, either of the plot or of the, of the characters' uh, observations about what they're going through and, and what they're seeing. It's not just a laundry list of places. And I really appreciate that. I love books that have, um, have, have such a defined setting as that you do. You know, you alluded to this in the intro, but I got the book. And I started reading and I didn't stop reading. So I was not aware until I finished it that they're actually based on true events. So Diamond Annie was a real person mm -hmm. and Lillian Wiles, apparently it was also a real person. Um, talk about your research a little bit and what you, how you find these wonderful stories. Sure. So thank you, first of all. Um, I love setting as well. I like the world building in historical fiction for me is the most fun. Um, and that becomes part of my research. Uh, I try to go to the location um, and, uh, you know, spend as much time in that place as possible. I just feel like there's this kind of essence that you can't capture through Google and reading. Um, no matter how great that is, that's helpful too, but it's, it's just really not the same. So I did go to London. I walked the neighborhoods um, that the uh, the 40 elephants lived in i i walked the west end and those stores where they would you know would rob the the um the stores and uh i you know i went to scotland yard and i went back and forth a bit with the crime 
museum there. Um, you have to schedule an appointment. And we ended up, it, it turned out that I already had all the materials I needed that they also had, which was a memoir that Lillian Wiles wrote. There's only about 20 copies out there that you can find. And it just so happens that one is at the library in my town, which is hilarious. Um, and so, of course, I grabbed that immediately. And that was that was fun to, to find. Um, but yeah, you know, I try to do broad scope, sort of broad strokes research, you know, what's happening politically, who's, you know, who's in power, what, what are the movements going on in terms of art and, and things like that, just to get a real feel for what's going on. And of course, we're between wars at that point in London, which um, has a, a major impact too. And I've written a book about World War One with English characters called Last Christmas in Paris. So I already had a basis um, from that too. Mm -hmm. um, right. So yeah, as, you know, as much as possible, the details are where the, that's the fun stuff. You know, I used yeah. to be a high school teacher um, and I think, and you know, I do some teaching now still here on the side for writing stuff, but um, I think that's the part of me that really wants my readers to learn something because I get to learn as I research and I want them to learn too. So, but in a fun way. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. it was, it was, it was a fun way. And, and the, the way that your characters, um, you know, led into those, uh, us as the readers seeing the sights and sounds, I wonder what it was like for you going through London in the 21st century, trying to think about what it, how it's changed or what it might have looked like a um, hundred years earlier. Basically, that's what we're talking about. Yeah, it, it was, you know, it was quite different. Um, south of the Thames, you know, Southern London is, is where most of this took place. Um, and so, you know, those neighborhoods have really gentrified. They don't look the way they used to. I, you know, it's very expensive to live in any central part of a city, as, as we know, you know. So um, it has really pushed sort of those who were less fortunate or, or, or just really poverty stricken out of the center of the city. So mm -hmm. that area has changed drastically. Um, there's still some grit though. I, I will say I, you know, I, I happened upon what looked like might be a drug deal, but I wasn't sure. And I walked quickly in the other direction. Um, <laughs> that was really smart. <laughs> as one does, right. So, um, yeah. But I had great fun actually going to the borough market, which is a very famous uh, food market uh, food stalls and there's some bars and stuff there too um, in Southern London. And uh, that was, it's, it's a, an incredible place. The food is, you go to all these different little places and um, they still have a giant sign that says, beware of pickpockets. Uh, but that's where a lot of the, you know, the gangs would go and hang out, mm -hmm. not just the 40 elephants, my, my female gang, but the, their corresponding male gang. Um, the elephant and castle gang would go there too to meet. So, um, yeah. so that was fun to go to as well. That's good. Um, you know, I um, I probably should have asked this earlier, but it's just occurring to me now. Where did where did the name Forty Elephants come from? There's actually Does a couple. Of, yeah, there's a couple of theories. One is that so this gang actually began as uh, is, is the traceable part of this gang, I should say, was in the Victorian era. So they had much bigger dresses uh, and they would sew, they'd wear, you know, very uh, special kind of, of undergarments, pantaloons and whatnot that had extra pockets and they would stuff the things they stole from the store in these pockets. And so one of the theories is that they would go out of the store, you know, sort of looking like elephants because their dresses were bloated. 
Um, but to me, that doesn't make sense because if they looked like that, I would think a shopkeeper would be like, hey, what's under your dress? <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. So, um, sure. But, but the other theory is probably what's really correct, which is that um, the Elephant and Castle gang and that Elephant and Castle neighborhood Mm -hmm. uh, came first and then it probably somehow derived from that. There's a famous sign with a giant elephant atop it and you know, that kind of thing. So. That's great. And that's really, that's the, that's so much fun, the fun part of research and stuff like that. I love it. Um, what, what are some of the biggest influences, um, on your writing? Are there authors that you particularly think of as influences to you, or maybe you don't have any and you can just say that that would be fun. Um, I think that honestly, everything I read influences me. And I know that sounds kind of a lame cop out answer, uh, but it's true. I read really widely and voraciously. I'm also a freelance editor and a writing coach. So I've worked on a lot of books um, and I'm always thinking about different, you know, sort of uh, structures for books and different kinds of books and styles. And so everything I read, it, you know, mm -hmm. I kind of digest it and it soaks in and I, I'm definitely influenced by that for sure. Um, but I will say that another uh, another person that interviewed me recently said uh, when they read Queens of London, they could feel that, that I was very much influenced by English tropes and characters and writers from the past. And I said, that's funny uh, because it's probably true. I read all the British classics as a kid, love them. And I've seen every BBC adaptation of them. Uh, you know how that goes. Um, yeah. You get, you know, Oliver Twist a little bit in there with Hera. Um, he he also brought up, you know, Diamond Annie's a bit like Robin Hood. And then you have, you know, sure. he just brought it on. And then you've got Sherlock Holmes and Lillian Wiles. And these are all these English, very English, very iconic characters. And I thought, you know, yeah. I didn't sit, sit down to do that, but that's what happened. That's what came out. So that's quite interesting. That, that's actually a really great answer. And I do think it's true for a lot of authors, frankly, that everything that we read, I mean, I read, I read a lot of science fiction growing up. Mm. And um, in fact, the first thing I ever wrote was a science fiction short story. Um, but it's the, I, I, but I don't know enough science, you know, that was before Ursula Le Guin, you know, popularized, you know, the sort of social sciences of, of, um, of sci-fi. But um, I um, loved the world building part of it. And so I really appreciate um, reading about uh, 20, uh, Roaring Twenties London. Are you, um, are you writing anything new right now, Heather? I am. In fact, you and I haven't announced it, but I can tell you about it. Um, the, the working title right now, I love. They might change it. Publisher often changes the titles. Um, it's called The Hope Thief. And it is a novel about the Hope Diamond. And um, also set, it's 1919 US, and it's about uh, a, a fictional jeweler who works for Evelyn Walsh McLean, who was the last real uh, private person to own the Hope Diamond. Um, and this jeweler has just lost her twin brother. So she becomes a bit obsessed with this woman who is known to have these insane parties, big socialite. She knows the president's wife. She's very well connected and she owns and wears the Hope Diamond. So um, mm -hmm. so that's the story I'm working on now. That's a 2026 February release. So 
That sounds absolutely <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I hope. We'll see. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, right now we're talking about Queens of London. However, it will be available in the U.S. starting on February. It's actually available for pre-order, and I highly, highly recommend it. Um, Heather, before we go off the air, um, can you tell the listeners uh, where you're most active online? Sure. Um I would say probably Instagram these days, but also Facebook. I'm at Ms. MS, Ms. Heather Webb on every platform. Um, and I'm also, I have a newsletter and that's really the best way to keep abreast of things. It goes out once a month. I always have a giveaway. Um, I do little articles that relate to the books, you know, sort of behind the scenes, fun stuff. Um, you know, that kind of thing. So I'm never a spammer. I'm not into spam. So you don't have to worry about that, but that's on my website. You, you can sign up there and Okay, and, and your website is heatherweb.com or something it's like that? It's heatherweb.net or heatherwebauthor.com. It'll take you either way. So Okay, that sounds absolutely wonderful. I can't thank you enough uh, for stopping by to chat today, Heather. Best wishes. Happy launch thank to you, you, um, you so for, with Queens of London um, and, and for whatever the title is of the Hope Diamond story, which just sounds delightful. <laughs> I do hope you'll come back to visit then. Thank you so very much. Thank you.